Hello, Michael. Luke Butler, is the COVID hangover upon you or have you managed to dodge it? No, no, I, uh, mate, so I think I said it maybe on the show or outside of it to you at the end of last year. I've never needed a holiday more than I did at the end of last year. I was, I was like emotionally and uh, physically and mentally exhausted. So I went on leave and the second day of leave, I got COVID, which was great. So I spent the first week of my holiday uh, in bed, which was wonderful. And that was um, not long ago. So I still, I have the COVID fog. My brain is not fully recovered and I still sleep a lot, but um, I'm all right. I'm much better than I was. How are you doing? Relatively well. Um, for a man with my profession, I'm, I'm as yet somewhat surprisingly uh, seeming to escape. And I don't know whether that was the timing of the booster uh, or um, so, some, someone else looking out for me, I don't know. But uh, no, um, enough that I've been out and about the last few weeks in Sydney and, and I guess, um, you, you know, trying to get a pulse on where things are at and, and looking for the green the green shoots um, or the, the brown shoots that we're hoping were green and now we're brown and now we're green again. But uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's had the start of the year that we're hoping for, but uh, hopefully we uh, there's there's some optimism creeping into the, the market now as schools started to go back and case numbers, touch wood, um, you know, started to take a decline as of, at least as of today in uh, New South Wales, reduced ICU and deaths as well. So without making the call too soon, um, it's a scenario I think we're familiar with in terms of the number of cycles of the pandemic we've now been through um, in the last, uh, since it hit, really. What are you seeing? Um, what's it like? I haven't been to Sydney for a couple of months now because of border closures and and um, Christmas and things like that. So um, I'm a little bit blind as to what it's like on the ground. I mean, I can speak to other parts of the country, but in your going out over the last little period, well, what's, what does it feel like? I think it's, uh, the, 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 it's about understanding um, that we're still part of a heavyweight fight with this, isn't it? And, you know, the the, um, the sector in particular, and I think consumers and everyone are, are just uh, been through, you know, two years. And so in that context, just uh, the, there was quite a bit of steam gone out um, towards the end of the year um, as Omicron started to spike and people either uh, made their own decisions. I think that was partly driven by not necessarily wanting to compromise the holiday period or potentially infect, you know, loved ones and, of course, uh, you know, honour their holiday commitments for those that had. So either way, um, impact on uh, Sydney Centre, at least, um, without commenting too much on the regions, as, I, as I, it may be a varied experience there, it, you know, was, um, it was, was brutal. And, and then it has been a little bit slow to come back again, but I think at least in discussions with a few operators just in the last week, a bit more, a bit more activity. And I, I think I attribute that partly down to people returning from um, school holidays, people getting over COVID themselves, and um, and particularly the staffing. You speak to a lot of operators, and in some ways, there's this mindset of that the staff have either got it getting it I guess some hope that having had it don't get again so no one can read the future but the the hope would be that at least the staffing and of course we understand the staffing shortages but the staffing that uh, you have impact on that core team might uh, ameliorate um, as of now and into the next week or two so uh, I guess no one wants to be overly I can't I don't think anyone's overly optimistic New South Wales government's announced a total of another billion dollars of support around not just hospitality but you know arts and entertainment um, which continues to be similarly impacted just in, in the process of hoping to see whether that can help ameliorate the impact 
um, of it as it as, uh, as as continues to be the role, at least for government to, to try to do all the way through the pandemic. It just uh, it feels like we've gone backwards a little bit in terms of mindset. Uh, just in the, a lot of the businesses that I speak to across either Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, you know, there was a sense of uh, excitement and and I guess happiness. I guess a level of happiness at the trade that was being experienced when things started to open up. It felt like that you know when we came out of the lockdown maybe mid last year and venues just went from zero to 100 and were you know you know making up for some some lost ground from a revenue perspective but you know the staffing shortage obviously is something that uh, challenges us but I, I, I haven't spoken to a single business that's having a, a good time of it on that front and that's just obviously uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it with Morgan our guest today but just the the, the businesses that the ways that businesses are having to amend their models to counteract staffing issues it's just it's crazy i just don't think that you know if there is a single business out there that is going oh staffing all good you know i like i don't know where i don't know where that business is it's either just passable bad or terrible um probably be the 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 grades of scores on that is in my my discussion major and there's labor shortage generally across a number of sectors which doesn't make the the process any easier so that's just the landscape and i don't think it's being overly um pessimistic it's just an objective no no it's just a yeah i I think uh, many i i would be guilty of this thought that the um reopening was kind of the last stage you know as you open and you you go back to normal but it's as, as has been the case over the last two years there's always a new challenge around the corner but hopefully uh, not too many left. If we can get that um, normalisation of, of case numbers or, or, or uh, stabilisation, sorry, and and have enough people go through it. I mean, it's actually my experience with it is is has been that you know my uh, willingness or desire to travel, having not had COVID, was very very low, particularly at the back end of the year. But now that I've been through it and I know that I've had it, and you know you have some kind of sense of um, uh, I, I've got trips booked to Melbourne and Sydney in the next two weeks, you know, whereas I haven't been to Sydney for a number of months. So hopefully, you know, as people do go through and, and have the virus and recover, their ability to travel, to go out, to work is much more stable. Yeah, and I, like it's worth noting, and, and I don't think anyone's going to see this as a, a silver bullet to the solution, but I think last week the Morrison government federally announced a marketing campaign to attract young people from overseas to work on holiday in Australia, work and play the Aussie way. And I think that accompanies some changes to to visas for working holiday makers. But of course, there's going to be a lag between that and and arrival for any any number of reasons. And then even then, still such Omicron and and I guess variable border um, controls across the, in some parts of the country. So I don't know. It's a it's a, all we can do is um, really I think as people talk about and I think I should call out actually is is what is helping is people coming together cross sector and at least hopefully in government and trying to work collaboratively as possible. We, uh, through our office, have a number of programs um, that we're in the process of looking to administer for things like CBD revitalisation, all aimed at um, encouraging people back out and improving consumer confidence and hopefully uh, seeing some flow through to hospitality venues and artists and creatives that um, are shy of cash at the moment. Is a, um, there, there isn't a positive, and I won't go into this too far, but we might talk about it again in the future. Uh, we're planning some stuff in our, through our business, more, like, as you say, coming together. I don't know if you remember the Connect event we did a couple of years ago, which was about sharing ideas. Um, I think there is a genuine opportunity for the sector, and this might I hope this doesn't sound preachy uh, or condescending in any way, but to build 
I hate throwing this term as well, but to build back better. Like there, there, there are challenges that uh, this experience has exacerbated or reputational issues with the sector that this experience has exacerbated within hospitality, without a doubt, which, you know, is, is why we're lacking so many staff and number of people have left the sector. So there's an opportunity, I think, if people come together to rebuild in a different way. The sector's going to have to. The number of people that have left, I, I wrote an article for Australian Hotelier about this, that looks, I think comes out this month, but speaking to operators, it's not a skill shortage that we're really going to face in the next, it's going to be a decade, I reckon, but it's a knowledge shortage. Like the, the, the amount of knowledge that has left the sector in the last two years is astounding. And it's knowledge that when someone leaves one business and goes to another, they take with them. So it, it doesn't leave the sector. It actually improves the sector as people go from, you know, from Maryvale to Solitaire to Australian you know, venue code. It stays, but so much of that is gone that um, it's, I think that's going to be a real challenge uh, over the next... I, I genuinely believe it'll be a, you know, a decade until you actually get that back because people need time in markets actually relearn or to, to establish the procedures that deliver that knowledge you know what i mean so hey how the industry solves that moving forward i think is going to be really interesting yeah i know we'll get into morgan in a second but a couple of uh things that, that you said there and and how they're being reflected in new south wales which ideally is like if other people listening other states might you know sort of stimulate some conversation but i think for the better part of last year every friday there was a, a weekly conference call chaired by the ceo of destination new south wales steve cox one of my colleagues and the visitor economy sector broadly so CEOs from across and anyone else to be honest I don't know, must, must have been hundreds of people on the call um, by the end of it and our, our minister would, would, would turn up and um, address questions take feedback and then use it to shape policy as best could be done on the fly, you know, not on the fly, but like on a on a recalibrated basis. Um, and just nothing short of remarkable. Is another call today at three, and you know, so I'll be tuning into that. So, so that's a positive, and it shows what can happen in what is still a crisis. And then, going to your point about the the long term. I think conversations at that level and you've given me an inspiration for the next guest we should have on, which is probably Scott Boys from Accor, because that, you know, framework, that uh, thinking, what is the, the framework for building back? So, patient levels, the structural parts of the market, I'm not going to talk too much further about it, but uh, what framework can we build from now? Um, because, you know, the, the reference point is so different. So, yeah, well, um, that's been a pretty good uh, sense check to kick us off. Not as we'd hoped as a bright and hope, but um, let's, let's go as, we, as, we, as we go through this season, which is probably season four or something like that, uh, we can add add some more optimism into the mix. But uh, why don't we um, bring on our, our first guest, which is uh, Morgan uh, Kelly, uh, who listeners have heard to from before, uh, the most corporate end of our spectrum, I suppose, in terms of uh, not non-hospitality guest, that is. Um, so he's an insolvency practitioner and probably many other things besides, but he, he'll be able to help um, give us some insight to what he's seeing in the market. Yeah, so he's the global lead partner, hospitality, leisure and tourism restructuring for KPMG. So um, Morgan has been doing the rounds the last couple of years, spoke at the Pub Leader Summit last year. He's actually speaking again this year uh, and is a feature at, um, at, at most of the events, but always a very, very good oversight of the sector, probably obviously hospitality, tourism and leisure. So... Uh, always has some very good insights, so let's get him on. I think it'd be fair to say that we got to probably late last year looking forward to a, um, everyone was looking forward to a pretty big hospitality, you know, summer season. I was, you know, me included with um, with getting out of lockdowns and 
putting the um, um, putting the whole COVID thing behind us, and then Omicron kind of put paid to that, and uh, and sort of gave everyone quite a big uh, quite a big shock. And it's really, I think it's really hit the sector very very hard. Just out of New South Wales, but I think the the key themes that that emerged from this played out played it everywhere. And in, interestingly, just as a side comment, when you talk to um, hospitality operators around the world, there are far more similarities than differences in terms of what's presenting in different jurisdictions. It's it's quite extraordinary. You can literally have the same conversation with someone that's operating in uh, in Neutral Bay as you might have with someone that's operating in, in London or, or, or in New York or anywhere. The, with the, the Omicron outbreak and the, the numbers starting to increase in terms of infection and those reported numbers going through the roof, which clearly had a massive impact on um, uh, on the psyche and the mindset of, of private individuals, you know, coupled with the, the, the letter rip kind of, um, uh, let's just open everything up and away we go. It's no surprise to anybody that, that consumers and um, patrons took matter into, matters into their own hands and... Um, decide to lock themselves down. So um, I think it's been a pretty disappointing financial performance for, uh, or pretty disappointing um, uh, over across the sector uh, over December and January. One of the clubs that I'm the administrator of, uh, we actually made the decision to close in uh, in December based on basically lack, lack of attendance and, and forecast patrons, which, you know, was, was probably at the time a, a bit of a you know, a call that, you know, looking back was probably the appropriate one. A lot of other operators have done that as well, scale back their operations. I don't know many venues that um, that haven't scaled their operations back significantly during that period. Now, that's, the, that's from the demand side and from the actual patrons coming into the venue. The other side, of course, is the, the availability of labour. And, you know, there are certain venues that... So, that that kind of uh, that, that kind of comment about you know a reduction in demand is a very sweeping statement, but there are operators out there who would say to you, well, I could be doing a lot better if I had enough staff to be able to stay open for for longer periods. Um, depending on the offering, and you know, depending on what they and what it is that they do, and the shortage of labour has been absolutely um, absolutely staggering across the sector, and has really curtailed revenues everywhere. And look, there's a there's a whole variety of reasons why that's happened. I mean, one is obviously the the shortage of you know we we all keep pointing to the poor old backpackers and the shortage of people that are coming in and the shortage of tourists. With all that, that is a big part of it. The other part is the um, um, the the fact that like, last year was a pretty tough year and a lot of people wanted to have a holiday. There's a shortage of of, of labour and a shortage of people to work. It's literally across pretty much every industry. So uh, that has been a a really really big uh, a really really big issue. And um, coming out of that, um, I know there's at least one. Uh, restaurant in Victoria that's embraced robot technology and robot waiters in their restaurant, which is which I got very excited about because I thought I'm a bit of a gadget nut and I thought we'll have R2D2 and um, coming to the table to bring you your um, your meal. <laughs> I think there might be a bit of a there might be early adopters of of an emerging technology, but uh, there could be a while before we uh, before we see that sweeping the um, sweeping the sector because I think at the moment it's a little clunky, but there might be some developments there. Those two impacts have meant that you know a lot of venues haven't been able to keep all of their offerings open or they haven't or they've had to scale back their offerings or they haven't been able to open at all and if you if you go from so if you're a pub and you're an operator that's got you know food beverage and gaming and um uh, and you've got an outdoor space fine you know it's, things are things are things are probably pretty okay it's just trades right down but for a for a restaurant 
uh, or for particular for smaller restaurants, it's been extremely difficult and very, very challenging, particularly when um, restaurants are reopening and having these awkward conversations with landlords who are saying, well, okay, you've you reopened now. I can see that you're trading and you're making money. So, you know, it's time to pony up for the rent. And it's surprising how few people were aware rules change from state to state, but that the landlord um, code of conduct and the landlord um, uh, relief was extended till 14th of March, uh, and a lot of people didn't realise that. So there've been a lot of um, uh, there've been a lot of sort of awkward conversations with landlords around reopening and recommencing of trade, and um, landlords kind of sitting back and saying, "Well, I'm not I'm not going to." fund your business and I'm not here to, to, you know, it's time to pony up for the rent that you've, um, uh, you haven't been paying for some time. And that's, uh, that's put a few, a few of the smaller operators out of, well, either out of business or, or you know, have, they've had to, had to close their doors entirely. And in terms of, um, I guess, the your sort of overall sense then for the first quarter, do you think that uh, they'll, and I guess speaking directly to some of the work that you look at and you mentioned, um, which is the, the, the pointy and the insolvency piece, is there is there sector rationalisation or do you think that the mix of government support and uh, perhaps uh, COVID passing through both workers and, and guests will sort of see a bit of return to stability February, March? What's your, what's your feeling? It's a really good question. And You've touched on pretty much all the variables that that are going to come into play over the next quarter. It's kind of too early to tell, but uh, and we'll, we'll, if, if there's one thing that we've learned over the last few months, it's like things just change so quickly. But my my sense would be that um, it's incredibly tough for operators at the moment, incredibly tough, and they need all the support they can get. We'll probably see um, having had a disappointing Christmas and summer trade period. Uh, there's been there's been a lot of um, I mean this is the period of time when you're supposed to be making hay right this is the during the silly seasons when any operator in hospitality is supposed to you know boost up their cash reserves and then as things quieten down then during winter you've got the um, you've got the the momentum from somebody carried through that's kind of been deleted from the profit and loss for this year so I think when we get to when we start to get to March sort of late February early March and that's when bazers fall due as well for for operators will probably start to see some um, some issues starting to emerge. The, the, the really small operators or some of the sole traders, for example, um, that operate in this space will probably never hear of because, you know, I'll throw the keys across the table of the landlord and close their doors and then do a deal with their suppliers and try and preserve what they can and then reopen, you know, down the road or reopen somewhere else. Uh, and a lot of those don't show up in the insolvency numbers or the insolvency statistics. There'll be a lot of that happening. What I think... Will um, what I think will present though is I think there'll be um, some consolidation in the sector because the, the the other factor I didn't mention before. Sorry to jump all over the place a little bit. But we've got pricing pressure as well. I mean the cost of inputs is going through the roof. The, the cost of beef is going through the roof, and uh, so you've got labour labour costs and input costs for food, which are increasing, which are squeezing margins that are already pretty tightly squeezed. So. If you're a big brand operator, if you're a large organisation, then you can absorb that and you can spread that out across a lot of different venues. You can also move staff around if you need to and you've, you can afford to attract staff by providing them with um, better workplace kind of perks or with um, with benefits. If you're a smaller operator, it's a lot harder. So personally, I think there'll be a lot of consolidation in the sector as well and, uh, and sort of a, a bit of a drive to um, smaller operators seeking out uh, potentially giving up ownership of, of venues or operations, but retaining some kind of management role and having a, a larger kind of body or a larger organisation, which uh, which has the has the equity. This might be a bit of a too finicky a question, but 
In, in terms of the, the cash flow operating model of small medium enterprise, um, which has been really uh, put under the scrutiny in light of the pandemic, um, whereas uh, moving into the medium large scale where I assume, and you should educate me, that uh, larger organisations have uh, working capital access um, versus just a standard overdraft. Do you think that the over this lumpy trading or staccato trading is what I like to call, what I'm, I'm using to describe it, there's perhaps, and, and given the um, pressures on pricing, labour shortage, that there's a, a rethink fundamentally of the um, financial operating model of, you know, different parts of the hospitality sector? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, whether you're a small business or a large business um, in hospitality, you do have the same, um, you do have the same operating dynamic. But if you're bigger, then you could command bigger rebates. Um, you can do better deals with suppliers. You can get better supplier arrangements. You've got more negotiating power with landlords and you're, you're perceived as being a stronger covenant. So from that perspective, you know, you've got that, you've got that sort of natural advantage, which, you know, which basically devolves down to buying power. And an ability to offer what you know, what appear, or the ability to provide the perception of greater job security for your workforce. That's probably the major difference in terms of the financial operating models moving forward. I think the biggest change that we can expect to see, or the biggest change that we need to see and we should see, is um, with all these other dynamics in place, a kind of sharing of the risk dynamic between the landlord and the tenant. And, uh, and sort of skewing rents more towards turnover and away from fixed rents so that if there is a shutdown, the landlord is in, you know, sort of in there with the, with the tenant in terms of that kind of, because uh, if you've got that, that's a really good word for it. That's the first time I've heard it. That's the cato trading. And that's, that's a, that, that's exactly what we're dealing with. And if you're in one of those downtimes or if you're in a period of shutdown, then the, um, the landlord stepping up to accept some of that risk as well and having the rent skewed, you know, naturally in the, in the rental, in the, in the, the, the lease agreement to reflect that. It's so evident, particularly in uh, urban centres and CBDs, where uh, for the longest time landlords have relied on vibrant ground planes and uh, now you've got a shortage of uh, tenancy in upstairs and vacated space downstairs. And the model is predicated on animation of the ground plane to some degree, whereas the um, profitability and revenue um, skews towards the sky. And so if you, don't, if you don't get part A, you may not get part B. And that's a really good um, sort of insight there, um, Morgan, to, to kind of, I think, uh, reflect on and um, where at, uh, in my office uh, have, have market research shortly on Sydney CBD in particular in terms of uh, product expectation and from consumers about what will incentivise them to, to come back in a, in a deep, I think that's going to be quite interesting to, to look at when the results come through. Uh, can I ask a question about capital movement then in terms of if there is rationalisation and I don't know whether you've got a line of sight on this, but is there foreign capital still like looking at Australia and New South Wales in particular or New South Wales, Victoria, the Eastern Seaboard at least around any of that activity or is it just local money moving around? There's a lot of parts to what's been happening with capital flows in the hospitality space. The transactions in hospitality, despite all of those what probably sound like doom and gloom comments that I've just made. The pricing in the pub sector, particularly in the hotel sector, is huge. And and there's there's um, you're hearing about yields at four percent now for pub transactions, which are which are almost unheard of. So there's still a huge amount of demand and a huge amount of price pressure in this in this sector. Now, what's driving that and what's driving those prices? There's a couple of aspects. One is sort of a lack of stock and a lack of availability of, of assets. And over since December and for that whole period that I've been talking about, you've had 
pump transactions occurring in the 20, 30, 40 million dollar range, they're not even big enough to make the headlines anymore. That would have been on the front page of the AFR three or four years ago, but now it's just like, oh, it's just that's just part of the course. One of the things that's driving it a bit, I think, is the investor market and investor money. And you've seen a lot of um, funds uh, and investment funds who've been buying up big in the pub space and in the hospitality space over the last few years. And that's just equity and capital chasing yield. Uh, and uh, you've got a lot of money that you need to that you need to have working for you. So investment funds need to find yield. And in an incredibly low interest rate environment, the risk of pubs makes the sort of the, the yield on pubs sort of outweighs that that riskiness while interest rates are so low. I think as we start to see uh, interest rates ticking up, and I haven't no one's got a crystal ball on interest rates and who knows what's going to happen in that regard. But I think the general consensus is that there's only one direction for interest rates to go. And as interest rates start to tick up, I think we'll probably start to see some of that capital uh, recycling through and moving into different sectors. Interestingly, talking to, there are just as many transactions occurring with larger operators, and they're usually the larger operators that are, that are getting into these big acquisitions as there are with investment funds, right? So that, that, is, that is still happening. But it's it's difficult for a traditional, if you look at a, a hotel acquisition or a pub acquisition in the traditional way that you normally would, where you look at a potentially a 20-year lifespan, you're thinking about, you know, a, a refresh of CapEx every three or four years, you know, you, you'll be thinking about yields and, uh, and, and you know, your, your own operating model and your own experience about profitability and particularly the cyclical nature of the, uh, of the business. You might value it in one way, but it's a different way to an investment fund that might look at a hospitality asset and say, I'll give you seven times you know, EBITDA or something along those lines. That's a different, it's a different model. And, and the other, the latter methodology generates bigger numbers. So uh, there's that kind of disconnect that's been happening as well. And the the investor funds model sometimes has, you know, it has a shorter time horizon with respect to its expectation for the funds being, you know, being tied up in that particular asset and a different um a different valuation model and a different different valuation imperative. So as a result of that, you know, you have these this kind of investment money and capital kind of to a degree, driving some of these prices. That's one factor. There are a lot of factors of what's driving prices, but that's one factor. You know, I think this is a long-winded way of saying, I think as we see interest rates start to tick up, we may see some of that equity looking for different investment opportunities as that risk versus return equation changes because of interest rates. What I'm taking away from what you've described is there's, not a, there's no one objective way of valuing a business. I mean, if you in this market, considering people, you know, Depending on where the money's come, they might value it differently. If you're an owner, business owner, what process would you encourage them to undergo so they could, I know, if they were thinking of selling, how they would get some kind of understanding themselves as to what their business might be worth? Well, I think engaging with a, a good broker uh, or a good valuer was, is a really good way to start. I mean, the, um, well, the sector's been pretty hot. As you, you know, as you all know, and I think the best place to start, if you're a if you're a business owner or an operator, you need to talk to an agent um, and and have a chat to an agent who knows or who's plugged into what's happening in the marketplace and and who's looking for what and and what assets are in demand, and and they, and they've got connectivity to these capital providers as well. The other th- issue is that there are sort of levels of transactions. If you're doing something sub ten million dollars, then it's not really going to get the attention of one of these larger a larger operator or a larger fund kind of depends on where you where you sit as well but a good place to start is talking to a broker there's probably been a fair bit of capex that's occurred over the last uh, little while as well with respect to covid proofing 
you know, venues because, you know, you know, consumers are all asking about ventilation, spacing, outdoor options for uh, eating or drinking or dining offerings. So I think that making sure, well, I think a lot of operators have already embraced that and sort of future-proofing or virus-proofing their, their venues against, you know, either reintroduction of social distancing requirements, which I think is becoming increasingly unlikely. Personally, I don't think that's likely to be because what we've seen over the last few uh, over the last few months is that, you know, consumers tend to be even more cautious than the, I mean, we've been trained by these, you know, these um, social distancing requirements to kind of, uh, if, if there's concerns about an outbreak of Omicron, for example, over the Christmas period, then everyone sort of stays at home. I think that um, when going out, there's, a, there's certainly a much uh, significantly heightened sense of is this venue safe and is this a um, uh, one that I feel that I'll be um, I'll be safe in and I'm, com- I'm confident and comfortable going to. So converting bar areas to you know sort of sitting and or standing at tables areas and things like that. Not so much to comply with regulation anymore, but more to um, to reassure patrons. Although all those things are factors that that operators are grappling with now. And if anyone's considering sort of selling or what have you, that kind of capex will get factored in the pricing as well. This might be, a, I guess, a silly question to ask, but in terms of your forecasting and forward thinking, when do you think we'll achieve a, you know, what we would consider to be a normal trading environment where things, um, I guess, we're no longer as variable and things won't change as fast as they have been or as often as they have been? Do you have any thinking around when that might be? It's not a silly question at all, Luke. I think that the sector's taken a bit of a belting over the last few months. And I think now we're in a very, and the sector's subdued. Now, when I say the the sector's such a mosaic of different businesses, there's so many different kinds of offerings in the sector, it's really hard to make sweeping statements. But if we think about issues like the issues around shortages of beef and the hangover we've got from droughts and bushfires and uh, and what have you, that's that's a 12-month cycle for that to, well, potentially even longer for that to wash through. In terms of labour shortages, uh, a lot of that's driven by reopening borders. Now, Australia is not a particularly enticing environment at the moment for people from overseas to come to Australia. I mean, the, the border closures have, have quite frankly, the, it's not policy criticism in any way, shape or form, because, you know, everyone did what they did at the time that, that they were faced with certain facts and made decisions and made policy decisions. But one of the side effects of that is that Australia is pretty remote anyway, and now it's seen as remote, potentially one with a, this iron wall around or iron curtain around the borders. So for an expat coming to Australia, it's probably less attractive, or even a tourist coming to Australia, it's probably less attractive than it, than it might have been before. So we've probably got at least a a 12-month period for that to kind of start to normalise and maybe next summer we may see a return to some sort of form of normalcy for tourists and travel to Australia and expats seeing Australia as a place they want to come to again as well. That's one of the key planks of the of the labour shortage. So I guess what I'm getting around to is that with all, and then we've got the, obviously, and who knows what's happening with the, the virus because another variant comes out and all bets are off and who knows what that means. So... To cut a long story short, I think what I mean is that I think the sector is really subdued now and it's probably at least a 12-month period to incrementally grow back those revenues till we get back to a normal trading period, probably sometime in first quarter of 23. One of the things I think about is, uh, is the pre-pandemic the right benchmark or is there a new benchmark we're ultimately going to have to be thinking about? And it's it's asked because of just the sheer number of structural challenges and I guess like the labour we've talked about, if you start thinking down the lines of landlord, the overall risk model on operations, then 
is the benchmark the same? And then add to that, we're from flexible home, um, you know, increasing flexible working arrangements and delivery services, use of technology. It's kind of a bit of a, the list the list keeps going at the moment, I think. Oh, look, spot on, Michael. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good point because for the last probably two years, we've had, you know, operators pointing to the trading performance in 2019 and saying, well, that's our normal, that's, that should be our normal benchmark. So you've got to forget about what's happened in 2020 and 2021. And whether they're talking to bankers or financiers or, or buyers or what have you, we only want to talk about 2019. And interestingly, a lot of the things that we're talking about, like when we talk about um, input prices going up and margins being squeezed and sort of a flight to scale and consolidation of the sector and labour costs going up, we were talking about those in 2019 too. Do you know what I mean? We were, talking, we were talking about energy costs going up, you know, refrigeration. Of, but I, I remember in 2019, the electricity price going through the roof was having an impact on beef prices because of refrigeration. And I was like, oh, dear, this is a really big issue. If only we'd known how lucky we were back then, right? But um, if that was our biggest problem, labour shortages and, um, and input prices going up were all problems then and they're still problems now. Now, when you talk about things like home delivery, you know, and consumers being skittish about going into venues and, and spacing and the way that you deliver your offering changing, that's COVID-driven, right? And that's new. And I think that a lot of a lot of operators in hospitality are really uh, that that home delivery option and that home delivery so home delivery systems and home delivery revenue options are something a lot of people have pivoted towards and have really and embraced and continued with because it's one thing you can rely on. And patrons of you know, and consumers have really embraced that too. Some of these things will be permanent changes. When when we emerge from this as well, we'll have a very different um, we'll have a very different landscape with respect to technology and how consumers sort of interact with venues because of these technology trends, which have all been accelerated like crazy. I mean, I went to the outdoor cinema in uh, early January and um, used that QR code at the table where you you know you use the QR code, use me and you. Someone brings your order to the table. I mean, how good is that? Do you know what I mean? That is that is fantastic. So that kind of thing, these are permanent changes that have come and and I think more and more of that contactless stuff we'll um, we'll see more of. So to answer your question, if there is such a thing as post-pandemic, the environment will actually probably post first quarter 2023 or when I think the sector is going to be starting to recover, it's going to look very different to the sector that was in 2019. Those those changes will be permanent. So those it's a really good observation, Michael, because there'll be there'll be more of that. And you never know, we may have robots bringing our food to the table, which would be I think we can only hope. Yeah. We're conscious of your time, Morgan, and I think you've given us a really good uh, insight around what you're seeing. And um, and this, uh, we'll, we'll uh, do a bit of pre and post to drag out a couple of points that you made in the last podcast a year ago, and then perhaps we can do one uh, in this time next year and see and see and, and see where we are there. Hopefully, hopefully before then, guys, it'd be uh, no. It's always a pleasure. It's really uh, really great to chat, and uh, it's it's a really dynamic and. Uh, a very rapidly shifting, you know, sort of sector. So you've got to sort of hang on to your hats because everything could change tomorrow. So <laughs> that's great. But it's a pleasure to chat. Thanks so much for having me, Michael and Luke. Yep. Nice to see you again. Take care. Take care, Jeff. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. I think it's a, very much a asking all the questions and we don't necessarily know the answers in, in terms of, uh, of of listening to Morgan there. But, um, you, you know, I, I guess my reflections on it are seem to be the case throughout the pandemic. 
embracing of innovation around things like technology use. Like one takeaway for me from that was understanding, I think that that's ultimately going to be priced into the business valuations. I think uh, he made the observation around CapEx uh, and, and COVID proofing ventilation, these types of questions. I think um, as a site in terms of where we, um, what businesses might be thinking about, um, is it money um, well spent or money down the down the drain. I think that's one one thing I took away from that. What, what about you? Uh, yeah, I was very interested in the in um, his comments around business valuation, and uh, I think it could be. If, I don't know. We commented on the the size of the operation in terms of the way that it's valued and the way it's perceived from different parts of the investor market. But you know, in terms of who's potentially going to acquire a business, I I, I think it'd be potentially quite confusing if, if someone was feeling that they needed to sell or they wanted to sell you know how they would value their business when they've got really turbulent trading conditions that you would typically use to value a business so you know his advice which which is obviously very simple advice but to just speak to brokers or to um agents and really we didn't talk about it but I'll, you know you'd suggest taking your time with that process and making sure that you're actually getting a, a good valuation for your business again if you did need to slack if you had to sell or if you just wanted to, I know that that would probably be pretty obvious to a lot of people. But I think there would be. I've seen businesses that I wouldn't have, you know, that friends own, you know, that are transacting that you right now. It just there seems to be another one on a social channel every single week that you you don't know if they have to or if they're wanting to or if they're just taking advantage of the situation. But there's a lot of movement out there at all varying sizes. So I think taking your time with it and uh, and getting as the best advice you can possibly get through that process is, is really good um, good advice from Morgan yeah and the other one to tease out actually is is the risk allocation um, point he made between landlord and operator and I, I think that the the traditional rental model versus you know is there a new ship approach that might flow on from this you see this uh, I'm seeing this quite a bit um, in the market in new operations that are coming on um, where there's uh, because it gives you a, a more stable operating base fundamentally. And another interesting uh, observation might be, um, particularly in, in terms of, and it's a bit Sydney-centric, but in terms of new hotel stock coming on and the F&B components of those offerings, because a hotel is a well place, of course, to take on the operational risk of um, their own F&B in a way that, uh, you know, other businesses, um, they may not have done in the past, but are able to now. And so I think um, it's going to be an interesting space to observe and, um, and seeing the new product coming on and the risk allocation that new operators are, are taking on in the next six months, I think um, we should keep an eye on and um, and maybe even and talk to some of those businesses that, that are opening into what we hope is the last cycle of the pandemic and to see whether that there is a, a better way forward. That's probably a good place to end because I don't know if we've sounded negative throughout or, you know, a little bit less optimistic than perhaps normal, but there's a lot of stuff opening. There's a lot of people doing some really interesting things there's a lot of venues across you know all parts of the country we're typically pretty eastern seaboard focused but there's a mate there's a lot of people out there that are having a real crack and doing some some great things and investing some uh, there's a couple of really high profile venues in sydney obviously that have opened recently that are doing exceptionally well and so it's good to see that people are, it's one thing about the sector is that it's hard to put a lot of hospitality people down like they'll, they'll, they'll just keep going and they'll keep to open new venues and try new things and do exciting and interesting things so that is, that is a real positive that i've seen over the last little little period as well well till till next time my friend see you soon